Come on up, buddy. You got five minutes left. Come on up, buddy. What Bible are you reading from today? It looks like the reverse vision. I mean, uh, I'm sorry. Come on up, buddy. Are you ready? I told you it was coming. You know, it's like the Lord. No man knoweth the day or the hour. <laughs> Thank you, buddy. Forgive me. You know, I feel like the uh, husband and wife that were laying in bed, and the husband looked Wait at Wait a minute, this is church. I know. <laughs> if we confess our sins. He said, honey, I don't feel like going to church today. And she said, baby, you got to go to church. And he said, why is that? He goes, well, you're a preacher. Get up and go. Amen. <laughs> Father, we need you. Thank you for Valentine's. Help us be reminded it's not just chocolate or cute cards or candy, but it was Christ on the cross. And Father, true love is selfless, not selfish. In Jesus' name, we all said amen. amen. Guys, I want to preach one verse with you this morning. Luke chapter 19, verse 35. Luke chapter 19, verse 35. And Jesus um, actually gives us an instruction. And of course, this is a brand new Bible. And the pages are stuck together. Do you, you remember my old Bible? Someone said they wanted it in the Bible Museum. It was just falling apart. So I finally get one and I can't even use it. Luke 19, verse 35. And Jesus said, Occupy until I come. Occupy until I come. And what I want you to see this morning is number one, occupy is not just taking up space, standing on post or assuming position. Uh, a couple years ago, I was at the Charlotte airport and um, I'm sitting at gate number 35 and I see an African-American lady coming to me. And if I ever hold the, heard the Holy Spirit, the Lord said, get up and give her your chair. And I got one little cartoon angel on one side and the devil on the other side. You've seen the cartoon. And Satan was teasing me, just sit still, you know, someone else will move. Well, if God is speaking, he's speaking to you, not the person next to you. And I clearly got up and I said, ma'am, I just need to give you my seat. My mom raised me better than this. Please sit down. And we started talking. And long story short, as she was talking, she mentioned a guy named Chuck Colson. And I remember thinking, how could she know who Chuck Colson is unless she had spent time in jail? And she said she got saved in prison. And I looked at her and I just said, praise the Lord. And she looked at me and said, praise the Lord. And we slapped five and we had church in the Charlotte airport. Well, long story short, at that moment, she then looks at me and I, I looked at her and I said, so you're on this flight to Washington? She said, yes. I said, where are you coming from? She said, Beverly Hills. And I looked at her and I said, Beverly Hills. I said, I, my parents are 70 years old. They've never been to California, much less Beverly Hills. You just got out of prison. You told me you do 22 years in prison. What are you doing in Beverly Hills? She said, I just had dinner last night with Kim Kardashian. And I looked at her again and she said, I'm the woman that Kim went to meet Donald Trump in the Oval Office. My name's Alice Marie Johnson and I'm the one that Trump just pardoned. Wow. And I about fell out. But at that moment, I was just trying to occupy as Christians to be on post, amen? Here's another thing I want you to see real quick. Um, uh, do you know what's interesting when you go to the bathroom? When I was single, I used to pray all the time. I said, oh God, I said, everyone thought I would meet some lady on the road. and." Uh, I stopped praying that prayer, but we would be up in the air. And um, do you know if you're an American and you're 30,000 feet, but you have to use the restroom, are you still an American? 
no, you're Russian. Can I get an amen? <laughs> you're Russian to head towards the lavatory. Now, once you're in the lavatory, are you still Russian? No, European, praise the Lord. <laughs> and what happens when you're done? Are you European? No, you're finished, and that will preach. Amen. <laughs> but in every airplane, there is a little sign, and it says, vacant or occupied. And, you know, we're like on day week 49 of stopping the spread. And in March, I think it was 9th, I was on a radio show in D.C., and I said, so what are they going to say next? We like can't go to church. And I said that on a Thursday. And by the following week, they tried to shut down churches all across America. I quoted four business days before the lockdown. Jesus said, don't forsake the assemblings of yourselves in the last day our summer doing. Do you know some of the biggest churches in America seem like they had the smallest backbone? They felt like a deck of cards. They weren't even doing the drive-in service. They weren't even trying to have service. And I'm so thankful that Pastor Marvin and Donna were still sticking with the stuff when the bottom fall out. LOL used to mean laugh out loud, but lately it means lack of leadership. God told me if we didn't have a backbone in 2020, we may not have a microphone in 2021. I won't name names, but churches all across America have people send me private messages. I'm disappointed with the way we're doing church. It's almost like we have sold out to a false narrative and a deep state. We are not deep state, but we need to be deeply rooted in Psalm chapter one, like a man or woman planted by the river with deep roots. You know, we're not going to be chasing fads, but we're going to be chasing him. And we can have the fear of man or you can have the faith in God, but you can't have both simultaneously. And Jesus said, occupy until I come. It was 2015 and I heard that Bo Biden's son, uh, Bo Biden died, the vice president's son. The Lord said, get in the car and go to Delaware. I drive all the way to Delaware. And as I'm driving, I'm on the Bay Bridge. So he's like, turn back, you're not gonna get in. And then I'm driving further by myself and he's screaming, turn back, turn back, turn back. If you're here in doubt, trust God, he's gonna make it, work it all out. Amen. So with each mile going to Delaware, Satan is like, you know, it is the vice president's son. You may have to go through the secret service. You've met him, but you're not like best friends. Just go back. You're going to make us all look bad. You didn't hear from God. I don't want you to minister to the vice president. Satan may have not have, but God told me to go. And as I'm getting closer to Delaware, you're not going to find a place to park. And this was the Lord. There's a parking spot right behind the Dover, Delaware State Capitol. God gave me a free spot. When you're on assignment, he'll give you the appointment. Amen. So I get out of the car and as I'm walking, he says, well, you got a good spot, but it's going to be like wrapped all the way around the building. And as I got closer, Satan was saying, go back, go back, go back. If Satan's saying go back, God's telling you to go forward. He's a liar. He's the opposite. So we kept going back. And then he said, you're not going to find a place to get in. And I'm like number 10 from the door. This was God. And then I went through the Secret Service, went through the Dover State Capitol, went through another x-ray machine, and I turned the corner, and there's the American flag casket, and there was the vice president. And I said, Lord, give me a word. Help me be a blessing to the vice president. And the interesting thing is when I got up to him, I just shook his hands. I said, God bless you, Mr. Vice President. I don't know how you're feeling, 
But we met 20 some years ago. My name's Frank Shelton. I worked on the floor of the U.S. Senate. He said, what are you doing now? I said, sir, I'm an evangelist. I work with the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. And he was broken. Tears were coming down his face. And I looked at him and he grabbed my hand. And true story, he said three times, please, please, please pray for me and my family. And at that point, I end up hugging Dr. Jill Biden. I'm hugging her. And then I hugged Bo's wife. And then I met Hunter Biden way before the stuff. But the bottom line is, as I left, there was two reporters in the hallway of the Dover State Capitol, and one of them come up to me and they said, are you a Republican or a Democrat? I said, I am a Christian and I am an American. And they said, well, why would you come today? And I said, the Lord told me to come. They said, where are you from? I said, Maryland. They said, why would you drive three hours each way to come to Dover today? And I said, because I didn't want the vice president to feel all alone when the bottom fell out. And see, at that moment, I was just doing my best to occupy to take, not only take up space, but to be on post and try to shine a light. Amen? This past New Year's Eve, I was invited to Los Angeles, and uh, they were talking about Governor Newsom was trying to make it mandatory that if you were an outside, they really didn't want you in. I was invited to preach, and I just knew God said go, and we got to go. Amen? Let me just go back to the thing that said occupy or vacant. Do you know what's interesting? And I'm just saying this respectfully. If a bathroom is occupied, if it's a port john or if it's the bathroom in a plane, it usually stinks. Can I get an amen? <laughs> the irony is what stinks to the nostrils of God is when the house of God has been vacant. There was a couple churches recently that were bragging last Sunday, we're finally going back into church. And my first words were, praise the Lord. My second thoughts was, you're like nine months late. And three, I guess better late than ever. But here's the catch. We need to be on post. My friend, first assignment with the U.S. Capitol Police, he said, Frank, I work midnights because, you know, when you start, you're at the bottom. And I said, so where was your first assignment? He said, I was guarding the national Christmas tree on the west lawn of the U.S. Capitol at 2 o'clock in the morning. That was my post, guarding the Christmas tree. And um, I remember a story of a United States Secret Service agent. He had a post, and the president at the time was in Cleveland, Ohio, and he was assigned, not a glamorous position, he was assigned in the pouring rain in the midnight hour to be guarding a dumpster leading up against a five-star hotel. And when asked why he was guarding a dumpster, he said, because the president of the United States is going to stay in this same hotel room tomorrow night in this same hotel on this side of the building. And my job is to make sure there are no bombs in the dumpster before he comes. Do you know at Arlington National Cemetery, when they pause and pivot to each other and they salute, they'll say the same few words that only the one they're relieving hears. It says, orders remain unchanged. And the great commission is not the good suggestion. And we need to continue with the orders God gave us. You've heard of Occupy Wall Street. We need to occupy America. We are in a fight, but we are not to be violent. We are to be on guard, stay on post, push back the darkness, shine a light, and pray over our region. We are salt and light. We are to be eagles 
not ostriches. An eagle looks up, the ostrich sticks its head in the sand. We are called to step up, not sit on the couch, twiddling our thumbs, waiting for one more stimulus check. People are like, well, Frank, the mask, the mask, the mask. I've been to India, I've been to leper colonies, and you either believe that God heals or he doesn't. And the last days in 2020 in March, the Lord said, Frank, they're gonna call you soul winners, murderers. They're gonna flip the narrative and try to say that those that are pro-life and for saving souls are gonna be labored murderers. And the interesting thing, when my pastor friend in March got arrested in Tampa, the man who had preached in 85 countries, who's an evangelist, the TMZ narrative with his mugshot on all 50 states said preacher wants to see people killed. Everything God told me in advance came to pass. I just want to land the plane with this. Jesus said, occupy until I come. Some of you know this story. Some of you may not. Um, I wanted to join the United States Capitol Police at one time. And my goal was to... Uh, you know, just protect America, protect our leadership, protect the beautiful Capitol building. And I had prayed that morning, God, if you don't want me to do this, shut the door. And um, we were training, the Federal Law Enforcement Training Centers, it's the U.S. Marshals, it's the Secret Service and the Capitol Police, it's the three federals. And I had prayed, God, if you don't want me to do it, shut the door. And I was running, and the first 12 weeks we were at Cheltenham, and there's a fire where they practice with the fires. It's a back staircase. It was four flights of metal steps. There's 100 steps. That's 400 steps. And you're running. Well, it was 90 degrees that morning, and I'm like 35 and a half, and the cutoff to be a federal agent's 37. I had just preached the week before in Alabama. I preached 16 times in seven days in Alabama. And I didn't know it, but your muscles tend to be weak when you're dehydrated and they tend to tear. And at 35, a lot can tear. Can I get an amen? <laughs> I'm running up this back staircase. It had rained the night before. There was a little bit of dew still on the steps. It's 90 degrees. It was the perfect storm. And I don't know if you remember in the NFL, when a, if you're running back on artificial turf, if you're going one way with the ball and you're on artificial turf, but you get hit by a linebacker and your legs going one way and he's coming another way, it can literally do a lot of damage to the knee or the leg. And I'm running up a staircase and I turned and I heard a <laughs> and I ripped my thigh muscle clear across. The tear of the muscle was this way and I ripped it, the muscle, the right thigh muscle, I ripped it in half. My leg was dangling like jello and I'm running up the last 200 steps on the metal iron because my right leg is like a spaghetti noodle. And a female sergeant comes around the corner and she said, Shelton, you're a wimp. You got to run. And I'm like, oh, no, she didn't. <laughs> but I should have stopped. She had no idea. My body's in shock. She didn't know I was injured. I'm in intense pain. The sky is spinning and I'm running up and down. And I got a lot to live up there. My dad was there. My uncle was there. My granddad. It was like Forrest Gump. He fought in the Vietnam War, the Civil War, World War II. You know what I mean? The whole, everything goes through my mind. And I come down, and at the end of that, it's a 50-yard, you have to pick up a 110-pound mannequin and drag it 50 yards as if you're pulling somebody out of a fire or something. With no right leg, it's hard to pull 110 pounds. I went like 10 feet, and I fell down. 
And I mean, my body is in shock. And people are hovering around. I remember I was kind of going in and out of consciousness. And they're like, what in the world is with Frank? What's wrong with him? And I had just preached in Alabama. It's not wrong to stay down. But it's, it's not wrong to be knocked down. It's wrong to stay down. And I'm like, man, I got to practice what I preach. So I get back up with no right leg. And I pick up a 110-pound mannequin. And I went another 25 yards with it. And I fell again. But this time when I fell... The mannequin fell on top of me and both of my elbows are bleeding when it hit the concrete of that training facility. And everything in time me is saying, stay down, stay down, stay down. And I just remember the Lord would have me occupy and not quit. And I got up and as God is my witness with no right leg at 35 and a half years old training against a bunch of 21 young guns. I got all the way to the finish line, collapsed. And this time the female sergeant that was screaming at me, her eyes were bigger than the offering plates. I think she thought I was gonna sue her. She knew she pushed me way too hard. And she's screaming for the ambulance that's always on duty on the side of the product. And it was like Lawrence Taylor, when he broke Joe Theismann's leg, he broke his leg, he ended his career. But if you recall, it was um, Lawrence Taylor who was screaming for the EMT to come back. It was just like that. And the crazy thing is they picked me up I'm in and out of consciousness. I just prayed, God, if you don't want me to do this, shut the door. I'm in the back of an ambulance, and there were four EMTs crowded in that ambulance. I was trying to remember. I don't think I'd ever been in the back of an ambulance before, and I was begging for ice chips because I was dehydrated. I'm laying on my back. I didn't know that they don't give you water or ice when your body's in shock. With my back completely down, I know we're in church, but I vomited. It was like projectile vomit. It was demonic, like from a horror movie. I hit all four of the EMTs like six feet away. You can't make this up unless you've been in it. And I'm on my back. I felt bad. I'm trying to apologize to them. Then someone shut the door and banged the ambulance to let them know it's supposed to come. Then the lights are going. I'm going to the hospital. I spent 13 days on my back, six days in the hospital. I had IV. My kidneys crashed, and the doctors thought I was going to be on dialysis the rest of my life. In 2006, the bill was a $40,000 bill. The Capitol Police did pay for everything. And I remember thinking, God, if you don't want me to do this, shut the door. And when they shut the ambulance door that morning, three hours after the prayer, I kind of thought, there's your sign. My mom comes and said, Frank, we got good news. I just talked to the lieutenant. They're going to let you do a little bit of light duty and you get to do it all over again. (laughs) I said, Mom, I got to respect my elders, but I think God has another plan for me, it wasn't that I was too weak. As a kid in, in college, my, I had the Clint Eastwood in the line of fire poster. The dream was to protect others, jog next to limousines, and be on post. Um, with four minutes left, I just want to share this. This is for somebody. I was told what you do to one side, do to the others. You guys know the story where I was honored. I got a call. Someone said, do you know Roger Stone? I said, yeah, I know Roger. I know of him. They're like, can you connect us? He's on house arrest. Can you connect us uh, to meet Franklin Graham? I said, well, I'm not on the Graham staff anymore, but we're still friends. I can make a phone call. Within 24 hours, uh, Roger was only allowed in three counties in Florida on house arrest, but Franklin Graham was doing a Decision America tour. I was able to get Franklin Graham and Roger Stone on the tour bus. Franklin prayed for him. I was praying God help Roger Stone get saved. And uh, 20 minutes later, Jeremy Camp is doing the guitar, doing worship. And that night, I get a text with Roger Stone with his hands towards heaven, tears coming down his face. He makes a public commitment to Christ. 
I get a call. They said, thank you. Roger's in the car, wants to thank you. For 13 minutes, I'm on the phone with Roger Stone. And I was just trying to connect two people together. And then the night of the sentencing, fast forward six months, I ended up having dinner with Roger Stone the night before he was sentenced in Washington. I said all that to say is not to drop names, but you know what? When you guys leave today, you may see a homeless guy on the street. You may run into John Flatley tomorrow owns Chick-fil-A. You may run into one of our local deputies. The catch is everybody's important to God. And if you're waiting to minister to celebrities, you're going to be waiting a long time. But I've learned if you share Jesus when no one's looking, you won't drop the ball if everybody's looking. And the goal isn't to be seen with a big name. The goal is to show up to tell others about his name. 1993, I got a bag lunch and I go and I'm at the U.S. Senate and I'm starving and I come outside. Oh, God, I can't wait to eat. And I come out there and there's an African-American, a homeless guy sitting there next to me on the bench. And the Lord said, give him your lunch. And I said, oh, God, I'm hungry. <laughs> he said, he's probably more hungry than you. So I give this guy my lunch and I told him about Jesus and he thanked me for the lunch. But he said, no, thank you to God. But I did what God said. His name was Harry. I heard about his story and I tapped him on the back way before social distancing. The year is 93. And I leave and I felt good that God used me. But I prayed that he would get saved. And the Lord said, come back tomorrow and maybe just maybe he'll be there again and you can wish witness to him day number two the lord said get smart pack two lunches one for you and one for harry there wasn't a cloud in the sky pack two lunches that day and i said oh god i said help harry be there keep the clouds away keep the rain away let me go back for round two i pray that this brother is on the bench let me tell him about jesus help him get saved and the good news is I came out there and I was more hungry than the day before because he had me fasting the day before he stole my lunch. Are you with me? And I come out the next day and the good news, Harry's there. Say amen. amen. The bad news is there was another homeless man sitting next to him and God said, give them both your lunch. <laughs> and I sit next to both of these guys and I'm about done. There's a homeless guy here, a homeless guy here. And the good news is Harry got saved day two. The other day, the other guy just enjoyed my lunch. Same thing. But it's all good. We planted a seed. I leave that day and um, I got in my dad's unmarked police car. My dad said, uh, Frank, guess who called today? And I said, Dad, I don't know. He said, well, the White House called. And he said, President Clinton is coming to the Capitol tomorrow. And he just wants to thank my father for all his hard work with the inauguration. And I said, interesting. And... Um, that day, I just prayed. I said, God, I said, you know, I figured I'd be 15 feet behind these crushed red velvet ropes thinking there's my dad and the president. And just behind the corner as a son looking on, regardless of politics, that is pretty cool. Dad and the most powerful person in the world. And my dad is humble. He said, no, Frank, I don't want you watching. I've already cleared you. You're going to be standing next to me when I meet the president in the morning. And now that night, Satan said, whatever you do, don't mention Jesus to President Bill Clinton. He had been in office six months. I'll never forget a special agent, Bob Alberry, in my house said six months after he was president, in our house. I said, is it true that President Clinton has gotten more death threats in six months than 12 years of Republicans? He said, it is true. He said, from Reagan and eight and Bush Sr. with four, there are more death threats on Bill Clinton in six months than 12 years of Republicans. And I said, 
how are you going to handle that? He said, we have more guns today on Bill Clinton in 93 than any time in the history of the U.S. Secret Service. He said, quote, our goal, we're pretty confident we can protect Bill Clinton from others. We're not sure if we can protect Bill Clinton from Bill Clinton. He said that in 93. The bottom line is, is that next day when I had a chance to meet the president, just to get God bless you, Mr. President, it was like all the demons of hell were coming against me. Wasn't trying to make a scene, wasn't trying to preach, wasn't trying to embarrass my father, but God put me there. And I just said, God bless you, Mr. President, it's an honor to meet you. And as I left that day, the Lord told me two things. He said, Frank, the day before you were sharing me with the poorest people in Washington, you had no idea in 24 hours you'd be sharing me with the most powerful person in Washington. He said, I wanted to see if I could trust you in private with the homeless before I could trust you with some prominent people with a couple others watching. The goal then and the goal now is not to be seen, but that the gospel could be heard. And you know what? Jesus said, occupy until I come. I believe today he may want some of you guys to run for local office. He may want some of you to write a thank you note to someone today. He may ask you to just do an anonymous act of kindness. But whatever he's asking you to do, you have two options. You can be vacant or you can occupy space because greater than a president coming to town tomorrow. And you may feel like your post is standing next to a dumpster. Doesn't look glamorous. Greater than that, the God of the universe could come back tonight. And we need to occupy, not violently, but faithfully. Because not only is the world watching, God's watching. And I submit to you, those with the greatest rewards will probably won't be big, big ministries. It was folks who at times felt like their assignment was small, minuscule, overlooked, in the corner, not glamorous. I'm guarding a dumpster. I signed up to jog next to limos with the American flag in the wind. I wanted to take a bullet. Leadership never starts with I, but I is in the middle of him. And if you occupy space, you're honoring him. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for Jesus. Father, help us remember not only our calling, but our assignment. And I just pray today, when you come, we'll be found faithful. I just pray today, if there's someone here today that has the weight of the world on their shoulders, whose heart is heavy, maybe family members who are sick and ill, I pray for not only comfort, consoling, but for healing. Father, if there's someone here today or watching online who's not sure of their salvation, what better day than today than to be born again? Father, for too long, forgive us. We've looked towards Hollywood and celebrity to fill our needs when sports stadiums are empty. But Father, I pray that the church forever will be full until you call us home. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen.